G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. When we talk about walking across the room, folks, we're not talking about walking up to strangers. Nobody likes to do that, and I don't think it's that effective today. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we continue Matthew's party. We're looking at the example of the disciple Matthew, throwing a dinner party and inviting Jesus and the other people he knew in his life as a tax collector in order to bring people together. We have holy huddle syndrome. We eat with Christians. We have coffee with Christians. We play golf with Christians. We eat out with Christians. We're in our little protective bubble. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we continue Pastor Jeff's message about Matthew's party. Now, listen, Bill Hybels is the senior pastor of, the, of a church called Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, Illinois. That church has probably done more than any other church in America, most probably the world, for reaching those who are seekers or unchurched. And he has tried desperately to create a church whose people... Every person in every chair understands that there is a DNA, there's a culture, there's a passion to just spend their lives walking across the room. And Bill Heibel says, when we stop walking across the room, it lights out on the kingdom of God expanding here on the earth because the church is the hope of the world. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Two issues here. Number one. You know what we're doing? And I'm, I am the chief of all sinners. This is why God had to wake me up on that bridge. And what he said to me was harsh. And what I'm going to say to you is harsh. But if I have to take it, you've got to take it too. We're in this together. We have holy huddle syndrome. We eat with Christians. We have coffee with Christians. We play golf with Christians. We play basketball with Christians. We eat out with Christians. We're in our little protective bubble. And there are these incidental banquets that happen every day at the office cubicle, in the cafe, in the restaurant, in the gym, in the weight room, at work. And God is looking down, I think, with Matthew and saying, in heaven's name, what are you doing? Why are you living in these little holy huddles when all you have to do is walk across the office floor, walk across the gymnasium, walk across the golf club, walk across the street? I've positioned all these people around you and you're living in a holy huddle. And I think Matthew says, Jesus, would you look at that? What is wrong with the church? What is wrong with these people? They're withdrawing when you've sovereignly ordained these relationships to occur. And they're all living in a holy huddle. Do you know what George Barna says? Our executive pastor told me about this. So I looked at it. It's amazing, the statistics here. When you first become a believer, most of you have at least 10 unchurched friends. After... Three years, you have five. After five years, you have three. And after seven to 10 years, you have none. That's representative of my life. 
Talk about being convicted as you write this sermon. I think of all my old basketball buddies that I can reconnect with now with classmates.com. That's not a commercial for classmates. I'm just telling you, there are ways through the internet now that I can reconnect and people like nostalgia. They like to reconnect with an old high school buddy. But I have separated myself and lived in this holy huddle. And I think God has had enough of me doing that. And in reality, I think he's had enough of you doing it too. Because we've got this mentality now where it's us and them. That's the first problem. You know what the second problem is? Second problem is we don't really believe that the power of spirit goes with us, that the power of the Holy Spirit goes with us when we walk across the room, because if we did, we'd do it. Now, when I went to Africa and in Rwanda, I went to Zimbabwe. When I'm in Zimbabwe, the day that I'm leaving Africa to fly back and be with the people I love right here at CCV, my buddy Tim Price gives me a call and wants to come meet me at seven o'clock that morning before I fly out. Now, you know who Tim Price is, right? Tim Price is the guy who taught me the game of golf. He's the older brother of Nick Price who plays on the PGA Tour. Now, when I was in Zimbabwe, Tim Price and I became friends and he asked me the same question every Friday night. Same question, Jeff, do you wanna go get drunk and get naked? (laughs) Same question every Friday night, same thing. You wanna go get drunk? You're a good looking guy, man, let's go have a good party. Let's have some fun. And every Friday night, I'd give him the same answer. No, I got a wife, I'm committed to my wife. Besides that, I'm committed to God. And he would always just kind of listen, kind of just wink at me and go on. Every Friday, same thing. Now you can imagine, I mean, the best way to describe Tim Price is, again, he's like Andrew, he's a little hellion. I mean, whatever he can do to get the most out of his life and hurt everybody along the way, that's what he lives his life for. Now you can imagine my surprise, seven years after I leave Zimbabwe, I'm in New Zealand now, and I get a letter handwritten from Tim Price He talks about coming across the South African border, crossing Bayat Bridge on his way back into Zimbabwe, three and a half hours on a road that has no street lights of Africa. And he says all of a sudden he started to think about his life, how it was going nowhere, how there's no hope, how it seemed that life had dealt him a horrible hand, tragedy after tragedy. But he says, the reality is I knew my life was going nowhere and it's like dust and then it's all over and everything's bad. And I began to think about what you said. He said, I don't call it the Holy Spirit, call it whatever you want, but in the letter, God started to remind me of that there is hope, there is meaning, there is purpose, there is healing of the most atrocious event in our lives. And he said he stopped the truck, he got out, he knelt down on the grass right there, which is an unsafe thing to do in Africa, and begins to pray. And he said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ right then and there. I'm reading this letter, I'm thinking, no way. How can a guy who's so far from God ever think about coming back? Because while I'm walking across the room, the Spirit of God is working. And it may take seven years after I've gone, but eventually the Spirit of God breaks through and he orchestrates and he fashions events together in a person's life to bring them back into the fold, to bring them home to God. Because the reality is, for most of us, we will not come back to God until there's tragedy, until we need him. As long as things are good, we don't need him. But if he doesn't deliver the way we think he ought to deliver, all of a sudden we start talking to him. Isn't that amazing? What are we doing? Who is the best at walking across the room? The greatest example was Jesus, right? In fact, you might say he walked a very long way. Metaphorically speaking, nobody's walked further than Jesus. He walked across the cosmos. Why? So that he could stretch out his hand to you and to me and to people who are right smack dab in the middle of making a mess out of their lives. And as he reaches to you and restores you, here's what he does. He says, now I am looking for walk across the room type people. 
That's what I want. And so he meets this woman at the well who's had horrible relationships, who's been taken advantage of many times. The disciples see her and they haven't gotten it yet. So they say, well, Jesus, you know, we, we got to go. We're going to go into town and buy some food. And Jesus says, go ahead. I'm going to stay here and talk to this lady. And he talks to her about everything, politics, relationships, religion, the things you're not supposed to talk about. He talks about all of them. She's so enamored and overwhelmed with Jesus' love and mercy and grace. She brings half the town out to meet the guy. Cause and effect. She's had an encounter with Jesus and now she wants to bring everybody she knows from her old life to meet him. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now let me, let me wrap this up. Please stay with me. Please. What I'm trying to say is that evangelism seems like a tall order because when you think about it, you think of a guy on the street holding up the sign, repent or go to hell. And you think that's evangelism, but it's not. Now it's a type of evangelism. It's a strange type, but it's not the basic pattern in the New Testament. Cold turkey evangelism is not what it's about. It's not like my friend, remember, who goes to the movie theater and purposefully leaves an empty seat beside himself in hopes that somebody will say, hey, is that seat saved so that he can say no, but are you? Remember that kind of ambush evangelism? It can be effective, but it's not. The, look, are you like me? Are you like me that when you go to the mall and you got those guys in the center, you're just trying to walk and enjoy yourself. Some guy, come over and try our lotion. Come over and try our perfume. Come try our makeup. There's a part of you, if you're like me, that says, hey, if I want to talk to you, I'll walk to you. <laughs> I'm trying to hold my wife's hand here. We're trying to have date night. Stay away. That's what I want to say, right? Well, I got to tell you, I've learned how to do it. Just a little secret right here. I've learned how to do it, how you'll never be approached by them again. Just act like you're talking on your cell phone. That's all you got to do. <laughs> I just put my phone up, walk down the mall. Now, they won't interrupt you on a cell phone. You say, well, you're our pastor and that's deceptive. No, it's not. I'm talking to God and he doesn't need a cell phone. <laughs> when we talk about walking across the room, folks, we're not talking about walking up to strangers. Nobody likes to do that. And I don't think it's that effective today. We're talking about walking across the room in areas that God has placed you at work, at the cafe that you frequent, at the restaurant. You see the same people because we're creatures of habit, the soccer field. God is asking you just to walk across the room and not hit him over the head with your Bible. Just to start relationship and conversation. Take an interest in their life and the day will come. The door will be open. You will know it. You will walk in. And according to Philemon 6, if you really want to know all the good things that you find in Christ Jesus, you'll only find them when you begin to share your faith with other people. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're hearing about Matthew's party. The disciple Matthew had people over for dinner with Jesus, creating opportunity to share about his new life following Christ. Let's continue with Pastor Jeff. I've been so convicted on this. I mean, i really, really super convicted. So I'm the chief of all sinners here. Because in California, when you go to play golf, they're always going to place you with other golfers. It's too crowded. The courses are too crowded. So you're always going to play with people you don't know. And here's what I do in the parking lot when I pull into the golf club. Please don't let me play with anybody bad. Please don't let me play with anybody bad. Anybody that smokes and drinks and cusses and just throws their clubs and is not a very good golfer and I got to help them look for their lost ball. Anybody that's not, please, please don't let me play with somebody bad. Here's what God is doing. Please let him play with somebody bad. Please let him play with somebody bad. Please. Right? Now that's not totally true because God is sovereign. He doesn't have to beg for anything. But you get the point, right? God is saying, Jeff, you're salt, you're light. 
I want you to want to play with someone who's bad. According to your definition, I want you to play with them because I'm positioning you in a place where you can be salt and light in the world. Here I am saying, please, please, please. Same thing happens on an airplane. I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm going to speak somewhere. You do it too, that's why you're laughing already. And you start thinking, please nobody beside me, please nobody beside me, please nobody. And God is saying, please somebody bad beside him, please somebody bad beside him, please. And so then they come and sit down. And then what do you do? Headphones go on. Or you read in your body language, everything about your body language says, don't talk to me. You're leaning over this way, reading the InTouch magazine or the InFlight magazine, whatever it is. And God is saying, please let somebody back, please let somebody. Because Jeff, you're salt, you're light. You see, where's my heart? Where is my heart for those who are far from God? Because I'm living in this bubble. I have a dream. Here's my dream. That everybody in this church would just start walking across the room that you'd invite somebody at your office or on your street or in your neighborhood for a cup of coffee one time a week with no strings attached. By the way, if there are strings attached, they'll know. You do it because you love your neighbor as yourself. Even if they never become a Christian, you do it because you're concerned about people and you're talking to them and you're developing relationships. Nine times out of 10 though, the conversion will come. It just, it's just the way life works. People who take interest in others will listen to what others have to say. In the right time, in the right place, I have a dream that you'd buy two tickets to the Dodger game, not just one. And that you would invite somebody and you would, it'd be a good seat. You'd, fork, you'd take a crowbar to that wallet and you'd buy nice seats. It'd be hard to say no. And now you got them for two and a half hours and you pray for extra innings. <laughs> that some of you in that cafe that you go to every morning, the same people that just one morning you'd walk over and say, hey, man, I see you here a lot. What do you do? How are you? And the conversation starts. My real dream is it gets bigger, is that there'll be some of you in this room today that will leave here and you'll think, man, I'm going to do it. Matthew party. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to cook a meal or have a coffee and dessert night on my street and I'm going to invite 10 of my church friends and 10 of the friends who live around me who aren't believers and just put them together and see what God does. Just gonna put them together. Or in a dream world, that our small groups in the church start thinking like this. Well, we're gonna live in our holy huddle for three weeks. We're gonna study the Bible, we're gonna to pray together, but all that's just preparation. Because the fourth week of every month, we're gonna have a little dessert evening. I'm gonna invite all my friends from the community to be with all my friends in my small group, put them together and see what happens. Warning though, somebody might bring beer. Somebody might bring something that you don't like in your house. How are you gonna respond? You gotta be prepared, man, to walk across the room, to walk across the street. And what you find may not always be pretty in your sight. That's my dream. That holy huddles become real holy huddles. Because you know what a huddle is, right? In a football game, what do you do? All right, you go left, you go right, whatever. You can tell I've not played a lot of football. <laughs> it's instruction for the coming play, right? That the holy huddles would be playtime, play calling. And then you go out and you go, hey! <laughs> and you move out and everybody does the job. But be careful because if you read the best of this text and I'm out of time, you'll find out that the people who complained about the party were the religious people. Poor Matthew, he probably thought he had done something really bad because Jesus got in trouble. And be careful who you invite.
to these Matthew parties. No truth vigilantes. No bounty hunters. Okay? People who are relationally intelligent and emotionally intelligent to mix and mingle and to share their life stories. Now, I cannot tell you what it will do for you when you participate in things like this. It will change your life. It will give you enough spiritual adrenaline to run for years. Because the reason what we do every Sunday is seen in Australia, New Zealand, and the islands is because of a man by the name of Bill McCarthy. It probably cost him somewhere between three and $5,000 a week to do what he does. Because that's, I'm talking about editing time. I'm talking about uh, programming time. It's usually what you'd have to pay to be on air in New Zealand. He does it all for free, basically. Now, there are some costs associated that we do cover, but for primarily, he doesn't make a lot of money in his own pocket. Because he has a vision for the people of New Zealand, for his people to hear the gospel. But you know Bill's story, right? Some years ago, I asked Bill if we could just start having a cup of coffee at a place called Pickles. And here's the first thing Bill said to me when we sat down that first week. Okay, I'll have coffee with you, but don't talk to me about Jesus. Don't try to convert me. I'm not another one of your little conversions. I said, no problem, Bill. Let's just talk about life. Months go by. We're just talking about life. It didn't take very long, just a couple of years. You say, that's a long time. No, it's not. An investment of a life for Bill to start opening up and tell me about his life. Things He told me things that he's not told his own family. We became best buddies. And just hearing the story of his life and how horrible it was. And you know what happened inevitably, don't you? He started asking me about my faith. And because I'm out of time, I can't tell you the whole journey. Seven years later, seven years Bill came to me and said, Jeff, it's time for me to cross over. I said, oh, great, Bill. That's great, man. I prayed with him. He said, I want to be baptized. I said, great, we'll do it on the weekend. He said, no, no, I want to do it now. Okay. I went home, gave me an hour to change. I went over to his house and he had this little hot tub built for two. You need to keep that in your mind. <laughs> Bill comes out in his uh, Speedos, which too much information. <clears throat> 55 years old. And I know Bill will be watching this, Bill, and I'm sorry, it is what it is. <laughs> he gets down in the hot tub. I take his confession of faith. We baptize him. He stands up and gives me a big old bear hug. I mean, and I'm thinking I'm emotional because I'm thinking of, of what God has done in this man's life. And before we can finish hugging, his daughter, Julia, comes down into the pool with her clothes on. And she looks at me and she says, what do I need? I want to be right with What do I need to do? And I explain it to her. Your sin separates you from God. But we're all sinners, all of us. But Jesus forgives those sin by his work on the cross. Just embrace him as Savior. Take him in and the healing will begin. So we baptize her. Now she's hugging Bill. I'm hugging Bill. She's hugging me. We're hugging three and a hot tub built for two. And as soon as I'm finished with that, no, no sooner I'd finished with, with Julia that Rachel, the other sister, comes down with her clothes on. She says the same thing. But what do I got to do? What must I do? I want to be right with God. She's got her clothes on. It's hot in this hot tub built for two. There are four of us. And she says, what do I need to do? And I tell her your sin separates you from God. But God has sent his son to die for your sins. And we're all sinners, all of us. But there's a way of forgiveness and a way of healing and restoration. And we baptize her. No sooner I had got her out of the water that the son-in-law, the wife or the husband of Rachel, comes down into the water with his clothes on. He looks at me and he says, what do I need to, be do, to, to do to be right with God? And there's a part of me that wanted to say, have you not been listening? <laughs> I've said this four times now. And I tell him, and we baptize him in there. And now the mother who's been praying for this for 20 years has passed. She's literally fainted because her whole family's coming to Christ at one time. And the people, the people in the neighborhood, the people in the community are there. 
We had a big roast dinner that Bill loves to cook. Great husband, hey. Loves to cook a big roast lamb dinner and potatoes and care, everything. We all ate and we all celebrated. It was an event. When I left New Zealand, never to return. We knew, well, as far as ministry, Bill came to the airport. And he's not an emotional guy most of the time. I was about ready to go through the gate. I turn to walk away and Bill grabs my hand. He says, come here, big fella. Where are you going? And he looked at me, man, and his wife's there. She's already weeping. She knows what's coming. Bill says, thank you for changing my life. Thank you for changing my life, big fella. I walked through those gates, and I've never forgotten how I felt because I walked across the room. Please. There are people crying out. They're like Zacchaeus. They're up a tree just trying to get a glimpse of Jesus and you're the only glimpse they're ever going to get. Please walk across the room. In heaven's name, walk across the room. Father, we are grateful this morning for the power of your word. We are thankful for the fact that you loved us. You reached out to us. You walked so far because you loved us. You stretched out your hand to us as we were making a a mess of our lives. And now you call us to also walk across the room. And I pray that our culture at Christ Church of the Valley would become that. We'd never forget this day that we all agreed that we would walk across the room and change the lives of those around us and to trust your Holy Spirit to do the work. And even when there is a a rebellion, even when there is an obstinate heart, you're still working then. Help us to remember sometimes when they scream the loudest is when they are desperate for the most help. I pray cause revival in this place. Your spirit would come upon us. A life change would come in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and that's the end of his message, Matthew's Party, about building relationships with others in our circles and creating opportunities to share how God has loved us. Join us next time for a new message in the series, A Tall Order. Because evangelism is best served when it comes out of your own interest, your own words, your own experiences. You try to fake it or give it somebody else's experience, it's just not going to work. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.